Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Good morning, brethren. It is not a new thing that the church would have challenges. All throughout the history of the church, the church has always had challenges. And it is not an exception in modern times that that would be the case. When we look at the modern church, scholars tend to ask important questions. What are the challenges that the modern church is facing? What are the reasons for so many local congregations closing down? Um, why is a new generation of young people not interested, apparently not interested in churches? And, and I think it, all of this comes together with a one overarching question. Is the church still relevant today? And the answer is a res resounding yes. It is not only relevant, but it's absolutely needed. And it, it is interesting to notice that most of these questions that are being asked today actually have an answer in Scripture, an answer that was provided more than 2,000 years ago. One example of that, one question that should be addressed, is about the secularization of the church. You see, when a church becomes, or a congregation becomes secularized, it begins to become irrelevant. I mean, after all, if a church is not all that different from the world around it, then what is the purpose of the church? Is it just another club, another association? <clears throat> the church obviously serves a much greater and much more profound um, purpose. When a church becomes secularized, it starts catering also to the wrong attitudes in the people within the church and around that church. Promoting self-interest, for example, promoting a culture of entertainment, a, con a culture of non-participation, and in some cases, a secularized church becomes transactional. That means it, it gets into the mode where it's almost like we're saying, I offer you this, that could be membership, for example, <clears throat> if you give me that. And that would be a number of benefits that come from that membership. In other words, something very similar to a club or an association. And of course, I am generalizing in here, but I hope that the point is, you know, fairly clear. It is true that churches have never been perfect, and they are still not perfect even today. But we need to understand what is happening, especially in that one point of the tendency to secularize. One of the problems that we are addressing, that we're talking about right now, was addressed by Jesus. And he addressed it in a particular set setting just before the Feast of the Passover. We read about it in John chapter 2, in verses 13 to 22. Let's read it together. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal for the house, for your house, will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. You see, while the problem at the temple was specific in many ways, it was unique actually, the attitudes behind that problem are not quite that unique. We can still find them in local churches today. And we need to understand why and what can or should be done about it. So let's review it together, beginning with verse 13, which says, The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So that sets the background to the event. It gives us the timing, but it also helps us to understand that that was a very specific and very important moment. The Passover was coming. It was the time of the sacrifice of a lamb. It was the time of a commemoration of the Exodus from Egypt, which in it by itself gives us a great symbolism representing our freedom from slavery to sin through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Now, around the time of the Passover, most male Jews would go to Jerusalem. I mean, after all, it was commanded by the law. We find it in Exodus 23. And, of course, Jesus was among them. It was supposed to be a solemn time of worship and prayer and celebration in commemoration of the Exodus. And, of course, it was a commanded assembly of the people of Israel. So it was a special time, a high day. Let's read verse 14. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. Now there was a serious problem here. During such a sacred time, people brought to the temple their business. That's what verse 14 tells us. So what's the problem with that? Well, look, it might seem like it's not too big of a deal. After all, that's where all the people, meaning the customers, would have been, right, at the temple. And, and so, merchants, decided to go to the temple to sell oxen, sheep, and doves. Now, why would that be the case? Well, when the men were to come before God, when the family was to come before God, represented generally speaking by, by men, but sometimes widows would present themselves 
because they didn't have a, a man in the house. But when a family will present itself before God on such holy occasions, they could not present themselves empty-handed. They had to bring a sacrifice. That's what the law required. Now, because many needed to travel, and, and in some cases travel a long distance, and it would have been very difficult to travel with sacrificial animals, the law allowed them to sell their sacrificial animal at home and take with them the money that they got from the sale of the sacrificial animal so that they could go to Jerusalem. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they could then purchase the animal locally. That would make their travel a lot easier and it will not be an abuse for the sacrificial animal. So look at it from the perspective of the merchants. What better place to sell those animals than the temple? It was quite convenient after all, wasn't it? I mean, the, you have to present yourself at the temple and you have to present yourself with the sacrifice. So why don't I sell you the sacrificial animal conveniently at the temple? But convenience comes at a price. So the sacrificial animals were sold at a much higher price than they could be sold for, uh, you know, the, at home. So you will be able to sell an animal at home for a certain price, but when you got to Jerusalem, there's no way you could buy that same animal for the same price because, well, after all, convenience comes at a cost, right? What about the money changers? Well, it just so happened that only the temple currency could be used to make those purchases. And of course, people traveling throughout the country would not have a temple currency. So what better place than to exchange the money than the temple right next to the animal merchants? That would be very convenient. I mean, you go to the temple, you go buy the money changer, you exchange your money, you go to the uh, merchant to purchase the sacrificial animal. It's all done there and very convenient. But once again, convenience costs. It costs money. And so the money changers would exchange the money, yes, but at a very high rate. It made good business sense to them, right? But that's exactly where the problem was. Now you might say, well, okay, I understand what happened there at the temple, but I don't bring my business to church. That may be true. But you may be surprised how many companies and how many professions try to do just that. I remember being in a conference in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And during that conference, a particular group of professionals were stating that they were very concerned about their profession not being represented in the church because they were losing a lot of customers. And I remember being shocked. Shocked and thinking, you look at the church as customers? Some church complexes actually run actual businesses inside the church, or at least in the, in the campus of the church, but some actually even inside the church building. They have shops, they have a number of different business enterprises or activities right there. So the idea that business is brought into the church is actually not 
a strange idea even today. But we don't need to go that far. You might say, well, but I, I don't have a business. I'm not one of those companies. I go to church and I don't bring my business to church. And that could be very well true. But we don't need to go that far. Have you ever heard people complaining that they don't get much out of church going? It is true that some people mean well with that sentence. They refer to the fact that perhaps sometimes when they go to a local church, they don't, they don't find the inspiration and they, they worship, and, or at least they, the church not being that conducive to worship or the teaching of a word. So they, they're talking about God and they're talking about the fact that perhaps in that particular local congregation, in that local church, they're not moved or encouraged to to that closeness, that communion, the fellowship that they should have with God. But you know, not everyone that says that means that. A number of people go to church for the benefits that they get out of it. It's almost like the church exists to serve them, to bolster their self-interest. And, and if that is the case, isn't that the same attitude that the merchants and the money changers had in the temple. Perhaps it's not so blatant, but the attitude is the same. The heart behind it is the same. And if we are caught in that, we end up going to church maybe to expand our personal contacts, for example, to network with others. Oh, I've known members of the church in the past years who were going to church and the church was their marketplace to sell herbs, to sell oils, to sell a whole bunch of different things. It was almost like they were going to church to expand their network of sales. Well, not everybody does it, of course. But many people go to church to find something that they need, to socialize to be affirmed by others, to be entertained, to find a moment of rest from the children because they, their, babys their, their babysitting services are offered by the church and so they, f they can finally relax and, and concentrate and with without being interrupted by the children or other things. And, and some of those things may not be wrong in the, by themselves. But isn't the church like the temple? A place of prayer, a place of worship, a place where we come not to meet one another as much as to be in the presence and the communion with God. Notice verses 15 and 16 now. And Jesus made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. That is how Jesus responded. He made a whip, yes, but it was a soft whip. It was made of cord. And he used it to drive animals out of a temple, as we read in the other Gospels. It told the merchants of doves, to take their stuff out of a temple. Now, he did that, I am assuming, because if he had um, 
driven the, the doves out, the, the merchants would have lost them. And in all of this, Jesus did not cause any damage. So he told the merchants of doves to take them out. And they did. They knew that he meant business. But obviously, God's business. He overturned the tables of the money changers. And you might wonder, why did he do that? Well, imagine the money changers being all involved in, in their business, and now their money is falling to the ground. The money changers now no longer give attention and try to stop Jesus, but they're all busy gathering their money. So the merchants of animals are out, going out of the temple to, to make sure that they don't lose their animals. The merchants are now picking up their I mean, the uh, money changers are picking up their coins from the ground. And now Jesus can address the crowd, as we read in, in the other Gospels, address the crowd and point out the problem. That they were making the house of prayer, the temple, a place where you go to meet God, basically. To be in the presence of God. To be in communion in the presence of God. And they were turning into a den of thieves. In other words, taking advantage of the, the fellow Jews that had to be there and they needed to present a sacrifice. Jesus was indignant, but he was not violent. He cleared the temple without causing damage. Why? Because such things did not belong in the temple. And similarly, those attitudes, those ways of thinking, such things as those, don't belong in a church either. Take these things away, Jesus said. Stop making my father's house a place of business, he told them. What Jesus said and did was actually for their good. It was needed. They needed it. They needed to hear that. They needed to be corrected at that time. His righteous anger was quite controlled. And as I said, no damage was caused, but his task was accomplished. And he cleared the temple. And he restored the, the quiet and the peace that it was needed for the worshipers to come before God, to present themselves to God with their offering, with their sacrifice, to pray and to be in communion with God. Now, what about us? Do we have that kind of zeal for true worship? Or are we caught in the things of this society, in the secularization of the church to the point that if the church is not entertaining, well, we don't like it anymore. What about the quiet church, where you can actually be in the presence of God and experience that presence in the peace of that communion. That's not necessarily entertainment, but that's what the church and the church service should be like. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have music or worship songs or, or things of that nature. <clears throat> but I'm saying that the purpose of all that is to facilitate our experience of the presence of God and our communion with God. 
Let's read verses 17 and 18. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. <clears throat> the Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Now, you, you see here the contrast between the disciples of Jesus and the religionists that were at the temple. The disciples came to understand and they remembered the scripture spoke about the zeal of Messiah. The Messiah would be consumed by zeal for the house of God. The religious religionists instead remained concerned about their own interests. And so they confronted Jesus. And in, 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 in other words, they basically went to Jesus and said, How dare you? By what authority do you do these things? And implied in that, well, you're not responsible for the temple. You're not one of the, the priests or, or uh, you know, anything to do with the temple. So by what authority do you do that? How dare you do these things? Well, actually, Jesus said, all authority. As he himself stated to the disciples later in Matthew 28, all authority is given to him in heaven and on earth. But of course, as they were questioning his authority, the Jews wanted a sign. And they received one, but not what they may have expected or what they may have wanted or for that matter, not even one that they would be easily um, understanding. Let's read that in, in the remaining verses, verses 19 to 22. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, well, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word with Jesus, which Jesus had spoken. You see, the sign that Jesus gave him was a sign of his death and resurrection. Messiah had come to take your sin, our sins, on himself, to make, it, to make them his own, and to pay for them and to die for our sins and then to be coming back to life, to be risen, to rise again to life for us so that we can live in him and for him and through him and by him. The Jews did not understand that. Their hearts were still stuck on the material things. They assumed that he was speaking of the physical temple. And they still thought in materialistic terms, could not understand the spiritual meaning of what Jesus was talking about. So what about us? Well, as we think of the church, even if we don't bring actual business into the church, we still need to be careful about our attitudes, the reason for us to be part of the body of Christ. Do we go to the assembly of the church, like people used to go to the temple? Do we go there 
to fulfill our self-interest? For what we gain out of it? You see, the Lord did not ordain the church for our entertainment, for our self-interest. But he ordained the church as the environment in which we are given the privilege to participate in his work. It is an environment for spiritual growth. It is an environment in which we experience a precious communion with God and through Christ with one another as the Holy Spirit leads us. It is in the church, in that spiritual environment, that we have the opportunity to participate in God's nature of love. It is within the body of Christ that we are called to express the Lord's love toward one another. And it is in that environment that we can contribute to the well-being and the growth of the body with the gifts that the Lord has blessed us with. In other words, it is a matter of worship of God. Not worship of ourselves, not the worship of our own interests, not the worship of what we get out of it, but the worship of God. It is an outpouring of our hearts toward God as we participate in his communion, experiencing the truth that the Lord himself has taught us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That truth is very important and is so countercultural today especially that it is lost in the secularization of the church. So let's regain it. Let's regain that attitude. Not what the church can do for us, but what can we contribute to the body of Christ. Because as the Apostle Paul reminded us, the body lives because of what every member contributes to it. And one member, like the hand, cannot tell, I don't need you, and vice versa. The foot cannot tell the hand, I don't need you. We are all needed in the body of Christ. And the Lord has instituted it to give us the opportunity to share what he has given us as passions, as gifts, to contribute to the building up of the body. Again, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So brethren, may the love of God guide us all in our worship, in our fellowship, and as we participate in a work of love that the church should be characterized by. God bless you.